Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Michigan. Let's USA. go! You're very excited there. <laughs> did I did I not respond enough to your coughing bit that you felt the need to do the interruption yeah. bit? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's good to have a system. That's the main thing. you got to have a system. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, director of Michigan State Productions. Glad to be here. There is all the way to Mercer, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Before we started recording, Matt made us all sad. That's yep. right. With my reality. That's right. <laughs> nice. Talk, so. Talking about the, the recording industry always depresses this crew. Yeah. When, it, when I'm the only not person on the podcast who's never tried to do anything musical and like make that a part of my identity or my living. So I take a certain amount of glee in pointing out that there are certain people <laughs> who really have like monetarily numerically succeeded in in music in a way that like the people that musicians think are like the coolest super didn't yeah right because i kind of think everyone in the world should take music like three notches less seriously than they do so to (laughs) to let you all in on the topic of discussion we're talking about poison's hit power ballad every rose has its thorn I, i i think that people assumed that jed and what matt (laughs) rightly but very depressingly articulated is that every rose has its thorn has made way 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 more money than for example everything nick drake ever did put together yes not even the whole poison catalog that one song has generated more revenue in the world than pretty much i would be willing to bet if you went through all of this crew's top 10 artists on our spotify and combined them yeah yeah sad by quite a bit yeah yeah. Welcome and to say that. Sad. <laughs> Here's the thing that doesn't. I don't think that makes too much of the listenership sad. Nah, it's pretty much just middle-aged white guys like us. Yeah, that 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 <laughs> song is is really really bad. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like there's nothing about it that is good. Yeah. Well, there goes our inspiring interview with Poison guitarist CC Deville. <laughs> We're gonna have to, I'm gonna have to find a third question. But you know, that's what? right. I remembered a poison member who's not Brett Michaels. Suck on that. That wow. was really good. But you know what? We can take the depression even further because it does sound like us. Poison is better than what we were listening to at oh, dinner. Oh no! Which was a smattering of Christian rock bands from that same era. <laughs> yeah, and I mean wow. that was all the way bad. It really was. Yeah. Because the bands Jed was playing for us from his childhood yes. were so bad. Yes. If you can guess what they are, we'll give you a free issue of Bridgebox. You can communicate that to us through our Twitters. Ah. We all have them. It's at Glenn Fitzgerald, at Lee Younger, at Jed Brewer, at Matt King-er, because I have to add things. I have the world's most common name. All over the bridge, C-H-I. And I'll tell you, somebody did get in touch over this weekend. Ah. Who's that? On the Twitters. That's our friend Josh. Oh. Originally nice. from Toronto, Canada. Now. Yeah. Uh hailing, I believe, in the beautiful Midlands of the United Kingdom. Mm. And uh, he uh, tweeted in, we recorded this on July 1st, he tweeted in yesterday to let us know that he got married. Oh, As in, like, he was getting married on that day. Wow! And one of the things on his list to do on that most sacred of days was tweet this group, idiots. Yeah. (laughs) Who will do a three-minute improvised bit about poison at the drop of a hat. (laughs) Yeah. And it was a very nice message. And there were two nice things about it. Yeah. Uh, One was he said, Hashtag you made it happen. Hashtag say that wedding. Go us, which we've heard, which we are very happy. We've heard from a number of nice people that you know 
because of the wisdom and you guys are encouraging and it made me feel like I, I could really do it and be an a, adult and spiritually mature enough to do the, the marriage thing. And, and that's really cool. That's one of our favorite things to hear. There's something we like hearing even more. Mm, yeah. And that's this, this. This was the part that really inspired me. Said, just a reminder, Matt, Lee, Jed, and Glenn, you are definitely not invited. That was so fantastic. <laughs> we got the invitation. Yeah. And that's the greatest gift of all. Invite. I really, I mean, it was like nearly moving me to tears. Yeah. It's like, yeah. wow, somebody cared enough. To not invite to, me. To keep me from ruining the crap <laughs> out of a day yes. where I have to dress up in something I don't want to dress up, watch somebody drone on about to Corinthians, <laughs> love is patient, love is kind. You got to be patient to sit through this thing. The, the, a marriage relationship is, in many ways, an analogy for Jesus and the church. Did you know that? I no. know that. Would you like me to hear that break? Would you like to hear me break that down for 25 minutes? Would you like to hear me talk about a cord of three strands? <laughs> Who's the third one, Glenn? Yeah. It's Jesus. What? <laughs> also, side note to your Please. side note. You remember how a little while back we had that thing where we we're looking at the the wedding photograph where Jesus was in the wedding? Yes. Oh, yeah. Like that was a thing. Yes. Like yeah. a guy dressed like up like Jesus. Photo kind of thing. He yeah. would be in your wedding. It's like somebody who did a wedding photo shoot and they, they cast white Jesus to come be in Wait, it they, as well. Right. They they had a cosplay Jesus thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, like the full Caviezel. Wow. Well, here's what happened. That bounced around the internet and ended up in we didn't one, start it in but. one of our uh, super fans uh, in the Philippines who saw that, and the, I just have to share this part: the comment of, from one of our super fans about the cosplay Jesus in the wedding photograph was this: "Jesus, take the third wheel." <laughs> Wow, <laughs> that's genius! Oh, that's yeah. gotten it done. That's what you get when you watch the uh, well podcast. Yeah, this yeah. is the so if you watch this stuff. podcast, you don't get much out of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you gotta stare right at the bot at the pod <laughs> while you're doing it. But yeah, so again, the people—that's the main thing. The people are killing it yeah. out there. The super yeah. fans, we got—they're making—they're making fantastic observations like this. Falling in love, falling in love, babies, whatnot. Yep, not involving us in any of it. Yeah. Fantastic. Which that's that's pretty much all I want, even from my close friends, is like a fly. You know, you get like yeah. a save the date card. Yeah. I want a don't save the date card. Yep. Yeah. I want like a, here's when it's happening. We are very happy. Yeah. If I did something, if I was, you know, nice to him or whatever, say, we are glad that you XYZ. Yeah. That's it. Yep. That's Not it. even a date. We, we, Hallie and I have some dear friends that um, went to the courthouse, you know, and, and tied the knot with just the peace. And the way they did it is they didn't tell anyone they were doing it. Yeah. They just went and did it, yeah. and then said, "Hey, congratulate us because we got married." And so it's on Facebook. That's great. That's the most amazing, wonderful. God, it just <laughs> makes you believe in the power of love. I'm so happy for you so guys, romantic, <laughs> and for me. Yeah, well, yeah. That's the main part is for the part where I am not horribly bothered by that because I can't tell you this in clear enough language. I, if you invite me to your wedding, there's people listening to the podcast who have and will invite me to their wedding. I'm not going to enjoy it. <laughs> I'll go. I, my wife is going to make me go. I will not enjoy it. You are ruining my day yeah. with this. And here's the thing. If you're a true Say That Super fan, that would make you happier. That's right. That's, yeah. Well, and, and here's another thing. You, what, an, another way you can kind of turn this up for, for all of us, for all of our kind of personalities, is if you say, okay, here's what happened. I invited you to the wedding, 
And now we didn't tell you, but we changed the date, so you can't go anymore. Yeah. So it's like it's like in a way we trick our mind to where I I was going to have to go, and now yeah. I don't. Because one thing I can say about all four of us, there is nothing, nothing so wonderful, so delicious as canceled plans. Oh, yeah. dude, uh, you're like speaking Christmas. my love language. That yeah. is the truth. Canceled plans. I thought I was going to have to go somewhere. Now I get to stay in the PJ pants. That's, that's right. That's the good stuff, man. Well, you know what's so magical about canceled plans is it doesn't even matter what I do instead. Yep. Right. That's like, right. I, there's never... It's like a snow day for grownups. It's like no. a... <laughs> that's it. Like, that's it's, it. I didn't accomplish it. anything on this snow day. It was still the best day of the year. Yep. We're, we're told that life is better when we live it mindfully. Yeah. We should you know cultivate yep. mindfulness. I'm never more mindful. I mean, savoring every little detail than with canceled plans. Yeah, you're just... Gosh. Alive. That's every being thankful for every moment. So this firing. leftover peanut butter and jelly sandwich is transcendent. I never had something so good. <laughs> Just skipping up the sidewalk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you go to the movies by yourself on a day of canceled plans, oh, it doesn't man. even matter if the Rotten Tomatoes destroyed that movie. That's the best movie you've ever seen. No in doubt. Uh, speaking of which, my uh, wife wanted to go see the Jurassic World movie. Oh, yeah. I said, look, I don't. I understand that it's a documentary and everything about dinosaurs. Sure. <laughs> and yeah, I it's not animated, so it's documentary. How else would they film it if it wasn't real? This is what I'm saying. They got them in cages. Right. But Do you I'm think t- the cages are strong enough? Well, you know what I think? I think there's a real good chance them dinosaurs is getting loose. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> so you call me crazy if you like, but we'll, time will tell. Okay. Because I think that's what's happening. Okay. They're going to get loose and. Eat some white people. What did you find out? Did you go? <laughs> so there was a happy ending, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. well, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And in, the, in the long run, isn't that the true morality tale of the series of documentaries about Jurassic Park? Yeah. There's not, if you're a person who hears, we got dinosaurs. Yeah. Don't worry, though. We put them in cages. Yeah. And you think, I'm going. Right. <laughs> this, it's, right. it's like a Greek morality tale unfolding. This could right. only end one way. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've you know, I've seen all these movies. You 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 can't wear this premise out to where it will bother me. And sure, like I, you know, it's still a surprise. Oh my goodness, that dinosaur got loose. What are the odds? I don't know what that says about me. And that reminds me also, no one declared emergency. That's because you people don't care about procedure. No, it's because wow. someone didn't invite us to a wedding. That's the opposite of an emergency. We okay. want to encourage that. Here's another thing. Uh, uh, we had a, 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 a one of our uh, interns here, Miss Leah. Yeah, uh, her she told us her sister is a big fan of the podcast. That oh. is correct. And we were like, uh, "Wow, well, that's nice." And oh, Miss Claire, yes, yeah. And we, uh, I ended up following her on the uh, Facebooks there. Okay. Well, uh, Leah put a little thing up that Miss Claire was talking at her graduation, ah. her uh, high school graduation. I thought that was going to be the whole sentence, was talking at her. <laughs> yeah, I was talking at her graduation. And uh, she, she she said something, Leah was saying something nice about she was doing really great. And I said, well, I'm sure she did do really great because she's great. Yeah. And and then Miss Claire messaged me back saying, wow, I'm fangirling. Right ah. And I don't know exactly what that is. Okay. So I told her I'm I'm fangirling too. Sure. Sure. Good. So that was I thought like that's I'm speaking. You connected her with the children. Yeah. 
Yeah, like they, that sounded real cool. Well, I don't yeah. really know what it means either, but I think he nailed it. Yeah. I think that's probably the right way to go. Yeah. I'm, you know what? I'm fangirling right now. Absolutely. So. You can't stop him. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, I am fangirling with anticipation to find out what happened with the dinosaurs, because you, you told us that Jane wanted to go, but you never said what happened when well, you went. I, uh, wow. You, well, you know Jed, I think you might be the target audience for these movies. <laughs> That's What's gonna I, happen? I don't want to get. I don't want to give out what they call a the spoiler alert. So you have sure. to see it for yourself. What? That's no good. I'm just this podcast you. brought to you by Universal Studios. Apparently, <laughs> let me tell you what you're. You know what you're messing with powers you barely understand. That's usually true. This is the genetics. It can just blow up in your face, man. Right. I've been saying this. Yes. Nobody's listening to me. <laughs> yes. So, you know. all right. Let, let me let me attempt to bring this all together. <laughs> Please. You know what? Let me get the popcorn. I'm ready. Here's what we're talking about. We're Dinosaurs, love, <laughs> yeah. marriage. Well, particularly the Jurassic Park movies and the wedding. Fangirl. We're, we're excited to not be invited to the wedding. Yes. Definitely. That's because, in our experience, there's not a lot to like about. The wedding experience, definitely. Um, you know, it's and that's fine. It's not for us, right? It's for it's critically for the people getting married, mm-hmm. and sometimes they're insane family. Yep. And then uh, a certain type of person who really, really wants to drink th- three Bud Lights and yell "woo" while wearing <laughs> formal wear. That's <laughs> right. like their idea of fun. That's not any of us. We don't judge. Let me pitch uh, this. And there's the wedding planner cackling in the corner. Yes, just just counting their money in a suit made of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pitch this. If you invite Glenn to your wedding and you say, here's here's what I got. I got it's a tent. Yep. Blacked out. Yep. Easy chair. Yeah. Jurassic Park movie. Okay. Here's what I want. You're gonna sit there and then we're gonna say, Glenn, now you walk out. Okay. I say, man and wife, kiss, and you go, Woo, that's great. Right. Back into the movie. Just hit pause. Yep. Because I don't want to miss anything. Absolutely. <laughs> you might miss uh you might miss Jeff Goldblum being menacing. Right. And I I, I woo. Say yep. woo to I this. officially bore witness. Woohoo. I'm totally fangirling right now. Absolutely. Yes. And then I'm back to the tent. Yep. Well, I think we got us a, a winner of a plan. That's a proposition. Yep. If you want Glenn to come to your wedding, you now have terms. That's right. That's for, those are the terms. Give me dinosaurs eating white people, and <laughs> you got yourself a deal. You got yourself a deal. And on that basis, I declare non-emergency off. Yes. <laughs> nice. Well, it is. There are some things in the world that are constant, that are just never change. If you try to put them Jurassics in the cages, there's going to be, and you don't listen to Jeff Goldblum, there's going to be all sorts of mayhem. Forget about it. One constant is every month on the first of the month, Bridgebox is going to come out. Woo. But then there's some changes sometimes. Ooh, wow. Maybe, maybe Star Lord is going to be able to get these dinosaurs, and maybe he won't. Yeah, that's no. right. You yeah. got to throw a twist at the audience every once in a while. For sure. And this month of July, we're throwing a twist Ooh. into Bridgebox. Mm. We're doing something special. We're giving you our summer Bridgebox mixtape. Uh-huh. This is nice. our first ever, and we hope it will come into annual tradition all music edition of Bridgebox. The idea is you you got things going on during the summer. You're road tripping. You're going on adventures. You're attending weddings. You're fleeing from dinosaurs. Whatever you're doing. Sure. And you know, maybe you want a soundtrack for that. Maybe you want some music for that. And we decided to give you that this month in Bridgebox. We'll be, next, we'll be back next month with a regular issue. But for now, you can if you sign up at MissUSA.com slash Bridgebox. You can enjoy your summer mixtape. And if you want some more Bridge soundtrack for your life, you can always check out the Bridge Worship album, which I often forget to plug, but is available on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get music. You can yeah. search Ooh. Jed's name. That's Jed Brewer 
or the bridge worship, and that'll come right up. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you ask all the way to the end, I'll give some ways to get in touch with us. First question comes in, says, a friend of mine from our campus ministry, Christian Union, I apologize, this is from a friend in the UK, let me do that correctly, friend of mine from our campus ministry, Christian Union. That's exactly how they say it. Told me about your podcast, and I love it. I'll allow it. I love the fellowship we have at CU. I'm going to finish school soon, and I may end up moving away. I'm concerned about being able to find that same sense of community, and honestly, I've never felt the same connection at church, even though the people are often lovely. What can I do? And Glenn, I'd love to go to you first here. As I, I, I emailed this person back, they emailed me the address, and mentioned we were talking about the show. I said, this is actually something we're coming across more and more. Yeah. Both kind of from folks who write in online and even uh, kind of as younger people we work with in Chicago is that idea of, I had, actually, uh, to be fair, it, it comes up with guys we, the guys we work with at the bridge, too. For them, it's sure. a prison what happened in prison ministry, not a thing, but you know, yeah. I was in this offshoot, either a parachurch or a very specific type of ministry thing. And I really liked what that was about. And then when I go to church, it's not that church is bad. And that's mm-hmm. not our friend is saying mm-hmm. here, just, I feel like there's something here I'm not getting. Right. So we, I feel like we've done a lot of work over the years, specifically maybe in the last six months or so looking at that, looking at what that mm-hmm. is. And one of the kind of things we would start with someone on that. Well, I think for me, it's this idea of community. Mm-hmm. And that you you feel as though you're having that uh, community in your Christian Union meeting, and I think that's great. And I think let's focus on that, and let's start there. I think you're you're looking at that as your primary thing, and maybe you're wondering, do I need to have other priorities here? Because it seems like I have to to deal with like the big, heavy theological some things and bona fide, authentically approved certified there has to be a certificate or something you sure know. uh but i think for me if you give me all of the official churchy churchiness in whatever of a church and no community i'm gonna i'm going to be hanging by a thread i really am if you give me really great christian community body life is another term that we use in in professional circumstances where i have people i can pray with they're praying for me i can be myself i can uh, talk about my struggles and my issues, and and I'm getting some good Christian feedback on that. If I have that, I can I can go for a long time without all the other. So I think you're on the right. You're you're looking at the right things, and and we ought to keep it there. The second thing I would really have you look at is understanding the difference between a missions uh, perspective and a missions oriented ministry that you're involved in and a church ministry because these are very yeah. very different animals in many ways a campus ministry like christian union uh, uh like a uh, crew uh like it really any youth ministry out there uh certainly the work that we do these are all missions organizations so people who do overseas missions urban young missions, life young life all of no. that um these these are all under the category, under the umbrella of missions, and they operate very differently from what a church does. Uh, Missions is about starting from the very beginning. This is where all ministry begins with mission. So you you have, um, uh, if you want to have a church, you do a church plant, and a church plant is just a handful of people meeting up just like what you're doing right now. It's the same thing. So uh, we want to emphasize that that, uh, 
if you like what it is that you're doing with Christian Union and you you don't find the same stuff in church, that's because these are two different animals. Well, how does that play out practically? Well, here's the thing. If you're in a church as a pastor, you may end up inheriting that church from uh, someone else. You're you're coming in, the church has already existed. And you may not end up doing anything to bring in people who are non-believers into that church. So you're not growing the outreach of the church. You're just receiving people from other churches, and some of these people from this church go to, maybe they move away, whatever it is. So you've not done any form of missions work at all. You've not done any outreach. You've not built anything. You've not been required to do that. You're required to kind of keep this entity rolling. So you're working very different muscles, and the resulting ministry feels very different. If you like this podcast, uh, I think probably what you like about it is that missions type of perspective. I mean, it's not our hot poison takes? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's it. it it's, um, it's the fact that what the advice that we're giving you, the, the direction that we're giving you, is coming from that place of, here's what works at the jailhouse when they ask us a question, and I think, let me answer this in a way that would help this brother move forward and keep him from punching me in the face. So, <laughs> you know, Moving forward metaphorically, not literally right. towards me to punch that's, me in the face. That's right. So... I think you're you're in a missions environment, and I think you need to recognize it as that, and recognize that missions becomes the church. You church should break out, and I think you've probably experienced moments where you're doing some worship, where you're having someone's doing a lesson, and it's really feeding you in a way that you would get fed out of a sermon in a church. It's the same difference. It's the same gospel we're all operating from here. So to begin to think about for you, what would it be like? to build a body from scratch. If you've been part of doing that before, you can do it again. Uh, you know, Maybe that's a church plant. Maybe you're starting an outreach uh, that where you're reaching other people. Uh, maybe that's uh, just a Bible study that eventually finds a church home and the whole Bible study plugs into a church. Uh, but having that, uh, keeping that missions perspective going, I think is a very positive way of looking at this. Absolutely right. I think it's a really great point. And Leah, I'd love to go to you here. Because um, again, as, as Glenn points out, you've done a lot of work with Young Life, with even transitioning, I think, people from like a youth ministry in a church to kind of a, just a normal, I'm an adult ch- church attendee. Those can be fairly big changes. And one of the reasons that I'd love to get you addressed is one of the things Glenn pointed to here, which is when you're in either high school or particularly college or a university, as they call it in other places, is mm-hmm. there's just this critical massive concentration of people your own age who are kind of generally into the things you're in. And that makes community a little bit easier to come by. You know, you go to whatever it is, you know, 500 member church. That's just, even if that's reasonably sized, there's going to be some young families, going to be some retirees. There's going to be, you know, all, all ages. So it's a little different thing to just not to walk in there and be like, ah, everyone here is like me community. Now, so how do we go about? I guess there were to be some intentionality of yeah finding that within a small group, a home Bible study, something like that. Well, I th- that's a really good way to frame the question. I think one of the things, that, just as you say, that's so difficult about this is that as you move to a different stage in your life, there's certain things that just aren't there. You know, when you're in 
when you're in uh, middle school, elementary school, high school, your friends are the people that are in your class or the people that are on your basketball team or whatever the, whatever the deal is. And then you get to a place where all of a sudden you're working, you're working with people of different ages or whatever, and you're trying to find out where do I fit and where are my people. It's the same thing when you go to a, when you go to a new church. Just as Glenn's saying, church doesn't necessarily or automatically know how to do the community piece. Sometimes there's little groups within the church that have those relationships already. But if I was going into a new environment and I was going to look for that sense of community and fellowship, like Glenn is talking about, like you like you had in the, the ministry before, the first place that I would look is, is there any group within this church that is doing any outreach? Is there anybody that is um, involved in a ministry where they're meeting someone's needs? Maybe they're not doing outreach in the sense of evangelism or something like that, but are there a group of people who are going out there to uh, meet you know, specific physical needs of folks? So an example of this would be in our church, we have uh, we got a lot of folks who are volunteer Young Life leaders, exactly as these guys are saying. These folks are on a mission together. They are on a team. And that sense of shared, like having a shared goal and a shared mission, something that's difficult, something that is going to require a lot of prayer, a lot of patience, a lot of uh, listening and, and questions and stuff like that, that is going to automatically kind of build some of those ties that you're looking for. But, you know, in our church, there's also, there's a guy here that goes into the, uh, the into like the, the local assisted living center and, uh, you know, plays songs for and then hangs out with and prays for, you know, some of the old folks in town who don't have anybody visiting them. And there's a there's a little pocket of folks that goes with him, and so they're kind of a team on a mission. There's a few of us who go um, and do a, a prison chapel at the at the state penitentiary that's down the road a little ways. And man, that is a <clears throat> that is a team where we get geared up for that thing. We talk about what we're going to do. We're praying about it as we go in. Then we all hit the Mexican restaurant at the end and eat food together the same place, the same time, every single time. And we have this this sense of belonging and the sense of community over the shared goal, the guys that we're praying for and we're talking about on the way there and on the way back, those kinds of relationships are where you can really, really build community. If you find somebody that's doing something where they're on a mission, where they're meeting someone's needs or they're reaching out in some way. The other thing I would say is if you do go into like a small group or something like that, be the type of person who is willing to be honest and vulnerable about your life and your struggles. If you will, um, one, people don't know how to do that, uh, but it is the thing that will make community and fellowship grow. When people are authentic and honest, when they, when they are for real about the stuff that they need prayer for, um, that is the kind of thing that makes these friendships deepen, that makes this fellowship grow. Because too often you go into these groups and people, you know, will list their unspoken prayer request or whatever. And that is like, that's one of those things where you bring an unspoken prayer request. What you're saying is, I don't want you to know me and I don't want to know you. Just in general, will you pray for me? So uh, what we want to do is we want to be the people who lead out with the authenticity, the humility to be vulnerable. That's the kind of stuff that's going to make community grow. It's a really great point. And I think all that's very smart stuff. Judd, let's look at this from a 
a kind of step-by-step idea here. This sure. is, this is uh, something you did not leaving college, but coming to college, sure. um, moved from Miami, Florida to Chicago, Illinois for some reason. Sure. Sure. seems like you got idea at the time. Inadvisable. <laughs> but there, there uh, there's uh, some I- ideals, which we were talking about here that I think Glenn and Lee gave us for some great points where we want this to land. Yeah. But there's going to be uh, some process to that. Yeah. There's going to be some putting some things together to get by doing yep. that. Even if you find a great church where it's an awesome small group and they're doing outreach stuff, you probably won't find that the first week you're there. So how how do we smartly go about that kind of um, church shopping, as some people would call it? We would call it that too. We just think it's a good idea yeah. as opposed to your pastor, some pastors. And here's a question. If you don't want people shopping, how much do you believe in your product? Yep. Um, so how do, how do we do that? And maybe as importantly, how do we go about not getting discouraged yeah. when we hit some hiccups in that? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, we're delighted to have you um, as a part of the Say That family, and we're, we're so glad that this podcast has been an encouragement to you. And we're praying for you as you make this transition. I think the number one thing in terms of where you start is managing your own expectations. Building a community takes time. Finding yeah. a community takes time. Unfortunately, nobody goes from zero to a great community in a week. It just doesn't work that way. This is going to be several months, a year, a year and a half to go from, I don't know anybody here, to I have a community that I feel really good about. And that's okay. There's nothing There's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's easy to get in a place of, you know, I've been here a month and I don't have, it's not as good as it was at the Christian Union. So what is, you know, what gives? That's not a failure. That's not a problem. That's kind of how this stuff works. Let's say that you're going to a place where you just don't know anybody. So in a sense, it's kind of the worst case scenario. Well, what we have to do is embrace experimentation. We're going to try some things. We have to come up with some best guesses and go see how they go. So um, there's a couple of churches in this town. Um, You know, uh, maybe I know the denomination or, uh, you know, uh, I I looked on their website and they they listed songs that I know. So I figured, well, I'll give that a try. Great. Go do it. Maybe it's amazing. Maybe it's awful. Probably it's somewhere between those two. That's okay. That's fine. So we try this one this week. We try the next one next week. We try the third one the week after that. To be crystal clear, there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. It's not bad. There's a certain breed of religious teacher today that will tell you that church shopping, which is the process I'm describing, is in some way bad. Those people are wrong. Uh, That's not a biblical concept. That's not a sane concept. Um, Ignore that. Uh, you you got to keep trying stuff till you find something that works. At the same time, Lee brought up um, the idea of one of the best ways to both find and build community is through shared purpose and and something where you're doing an activity with other people, you're serving with other people, and he's absolutely right about that. The same way we've got to embrace the spirit of experimenting, of trying things. So do a little googling and see what are the opportunities for service that I can find in this town, in this place. That could be um, helping out at a nursery home. nursing home. That could be Habitat for Humanity. Uh, That could be, there's a homeless shelter. There's a food pantry. Try all of them. Um, Most places like that will have an event where new people are welcome to come and volunteer. Try all of them. See how you like it. Again, um, some of it may be amazing. Some may be terrible. Most will be somewhere in between. Uh, And that's, you know, kind of what you should expect. I think the key thing is this. Starting from zero, if you keep working at it consistently, it will get better and better. 
you don't want to hold it against the standard of there's what I had at the Christian Union, and until we get right. to that, it means I failed and everything's awful. We don't want to do that. The metric for success is, is it getting better? Do I have a little bit more sense of community this week than I had last week? Do I have a little bit more sense of where I can serve and where I can plug in this week than I had last week? If we in any way have that improvement, you're succeeding wildly. You're doing a great job. And critically, if you are improving and you're continuing to undergo that process, you'll get to somewhere that you're going to feel good about, even if it takes a little while. And just to tack on the end of that, I think all of those things can be positive even if they don't work out. Absolutely. You visit a church, it's not right for you. Somebody else, that might be the perfect place for them. If you volunteer somewhere and it just doesn't click for you, but somebody else wants to do that kind of volunteering, you already know about that. You can refer that person over. You're familiar with that. So none of that really turns out to be a negative. Yeah, absolutely. I have one thing on that, Jen. One more thing uh, that I would add is, um, Glenn is right on, we want to add in the element with, with managing expectations of being aware how draining this process is or isn't mm-hmm. for you and planning accordingly. Um, there's a lot of misinformation on the internet about what it means to be an introvert and an extrovert and personality types. Let's just say this. Some people find it really draining to meet new people, and some people find it fairly energizing. There's nothing good or bad about either of those things. It's just different people process things differently. If this is stuff that's going to wear you out, pace yourself. You don't have to do all of it in one go. Plan something fun for on the other side of this where, you know, you can kind of rebuild and recharge and put something back in, in the tank. So be cognizant of how draining this process is going to be for you and give yourself some grace on that. That's a great point. One one small thing I would tack on at the end of this is um, it has never been easier in all of human history to keep up with people when you leave a place. That is both to the negative and the positive for a lot of us. But I think in some cases there can be, and I actually think this isn't something most places would put on you, but I think there can be an internal thing of, you know, if I'm still just, you know, texting and WhatsApping and whatnot with my college friends and is that like I'm not moving on? Is that I'm never going to... And that's it's great to do if you like those people, if they're encouraged to you. It's, it's going to have to shift to a new thing, but it's also nothing wrong with you have really good relationships with people that you built in this in this time of your life to lean on that a little bit while you're getting yeah. uh, motion forward to the next point. Now, you don't want that to... That to me, I don't need community here where I live. I have the friends who live in my phone. That's not healthy, but to say, having a hard time finding a place to plug in, so, you know, I... I do, you know, we whatever, you know, group game or whatever, whatever the thing is to get some some fun going. That's that's totally cool. But as Jet's pointing out, we want to see that in a process of getting in motion. And it's all really great stuff. And we want our second question here that came in to our Tumblr inbox from our friend Scripture Sketches. It says, "Hi guys, I saw a friend of a friend comment on Facebook mockingly, and the quote is, God sacrificed Himself to Himself so He could save mankind from Himself.' Mm, isn't that clever?" I don't have a relationship with this person, so I didn't respond, but it made me wonder how I should, how should, it made me wonder how I should if I were in a position to do so. How would you guys respond to this description of the gospel? And Lee, why don't you kick us off? Well, um, appreciate you writing in. We're a big fan of you as well, and um, so thanks for that. Um, I would say, you know, I never take the bait. Um, when people are expressing in a public way their anger toward God. I think that one thing that happens for folks 
is that when we see somebody in our life, especially if it's somebody that we care about, who is expressing, you know, doubts about God or anger or even hostility toward, you know, Jesus or or any of this kind of stuff or to the church or whatever, there is an automatic reaction of of kind of a, a fear and a and a ticking clock of I've got to do something about this. I've got to I've got to convince this person. Um, there's a there's kind of a, a it's like a tension point, and I somehow have a responsibility in this, and I never take that bait. I, I don't have a responsibility one to stand up for. God or the gospel, especially in a public forum like Facebook, where this is just where people go off. Um, and knowing this, that by the way, a lot of times people are upset um, with the church or with God because some Christian has been awful to them. Uh, a lot of times people are upset and they are completely justified in being upset. Say that. Uh, they they should be upset with the church, with Christians, and, and as far as they know, they should be upset with God. Um, the, the amount of misinformation that people have about God because of some awful thing that some Christian person said, uh, you know, supposedly representing the Lord, um, they should have a bad attitude about the gospel. Uh, I think that we, when we know that, uh, we can have a lot of understanding. I think there's, if we could have a couple of things from the top on this, one, I want to have a lot of understanding for the fact that people are upset about, you know, all of this Christianity stuff, and they have a right to be. I can be understanding about that. And then number two, I don't have to feel the personal pressure that it's my job to get this person saved immediately, or that, that there's a ticking clock and I need to be afraid about that or anything like that. My my mindset with with everybody the Lord puts in my path is always, if I'm being called to love this person, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to uh, get to know them. I'm going to find out if there's some need of theirs that I can met that I can meet, um, and I'd like to become friends. I would love to get to the place where they feel like they can share what they're upset about, and I can just listen, just listen to them. Not cast any judgment, not defend the gospel or anything like that. Just give them a space to say everything that they need to say. Um, I think that when we can, when we can be understanding about the way people feel, knowing that they have a right to feel that way, and when we can dial back our sense of urgency that I have a responsibility to fix this person or I have a responsibility to defend Jesus or anything like that, then we can calm down. We don't have to be afraid. And then we can take the time that it takes, that anybody takes, to become known, to be heard, to, uh, you know, to meet some of their needs. And then when they have some deeper questions down the road, maybe I'm the person that they want to come and talk to. Um, I can definitely through that whole process, be praying for them, be praying for an open door, being, you know, praying for the words to be given to me when, when, when I step into those conversations. But I think a whole lot of this comes from on the front end of it, making sure that I feel the way that I need to feel about it, which is I don't want to judge that person. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to feel like there's a tick, ticking clock or there's a you know responsibility on my head to, to, to save this person or anything like that. And I want to make sure that I come at this with a huge heap of understanding and patience for the fact that they probably have a right to feel the way that they do. 
So I think that's a really fantastic and sharp place to start. And Jed, I'd love to, to get you to pick us up there because I think I can safely say that the short answer for all of us on this question and how would you respond to this is, I wouldn't. Yeah. And uh, we don't actually, I, I don't say that to be flippant because um, I think there's a lot of good stuff to be mined in why yeah. um, directly addressing this crazy thing a person says yeah. is not that smart. So in the idea of the league of out there not taking the bait, where would we take that next? Well, I think one thing that I would echo everything that Lee said, and, and just to give you context, so I've been a fan of extreme metal for like my entire life. And I mean, the, the do style you mean the of the band music. extreme. What's up? Do you mean the band extreme? I do. Yes, oh, absolutely. Good. That's yeah. the hardest metal band I'm aware of. <laughs> Actually, for real, <laughs> I, I'm a huge fan of their music. It would be super good. Um, but uh, I, I've listened to like, you know, like crazy heavy metal since I was a little kid. And I've been to a lot, a lot of concerts. And I think one of the things that if you're around church stuff all the time that you lose sight of is if you get in certain circles outside of the church, people really hate Christianity like a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. All I'm saying is if you go to um, if you go to like a death metal show and you just look at the t-shirts people are wearing, every one of them a lot is something. Of pentagrams. It's it's way more um, against the Christian notion of God than anything anybody has ever written on a Facebook wall yeah. and and by a wide measure. And here's the thing: that you're uh, standing there as a Christian is I can't respond to all of it. So I mean, like you know, <laughs> excuse me, fellow metal fan, I take issue with your T-shirt. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I one, and the reason I say that is I think one of the things that trips us up is a false belief that. You know, once in a blue moon, someone has an untoward thought towards the Christian religion. I should set them straight. What? It, pe- people are having untoward thoughts towards Christianity all the time. So this including is, ourselves. Including ourselves. This is <laughs> especially ourselves. So this is not a rare thing at all. So what do we do? What do we what do we do about it? We don't take the bait. As as Matt said, for all of us, the answer is we don't respond to things like that. Um what we do, though, and this is something that very few Christians are willing to do, is we make an investment. Here's what I mean. For me, uh, and I'm blessed I'm able to do this as my work, is that uh, I work in helping people. Um, I, You can think whatever you want to about God. I watch heroin addicts turn their lives around um, fueled by a, Christ- a belief in a Christian God. Um, I, am privileged to, to get to watch that happen day in and day out and to be a part of that process. I have a lot of atheist friends. They all know that I do that work. Um, it'd be kind of hard to miss. And the thing about it is I am simply by being their friend and being myself without taking them to task for their, uh, you know, attacks on the faith. I'm investing in that relationship. I'm investing in that person so that when they have a legitimate question, they will come to me and they will ask that actual question. Um, and this is not a hypothetical. My, my friends do actually come and ask me questions like, so what's this Christian thing actually really about? I, just break it down for me. That literally happens. But the only way that you get to that is by being cool and earning credibility and showing that you live out your faith through service to others for a long time. That's yeah. that's how you get to that point. If you're willing to make that investment, I th- I think you'll see the exact same results. You know, people Here's the funny thing, man. People are fascinated by faith. Even if they don't hold it, even if they're not sure they're interested in it, they're fascinated by it. They they want to think about it. They want to talk about it. 
But they want to do that with somebody who's cool about stuff. They want to do that with somebody who's not going to be judgmental, who's not going to be a jerk. They, they want to be able to, to say the following, which is, I'm not into this at all. I don't think I'll ever be into it. But if I was, tell me what this thing is. How does this work? Yeah. They, they want to be able, I, you know, I'm painting with a broad brush here, but I think a lot of people want to be able to ask that question that way. I get asked that question that way a lot. Like a lot, a lot. People will begin to ask that when you prove through your life that you're cool and that you can be trusted and that you won't be a jerk about things. In the case of our buddy Scripture Sketches, we know that to be true because he's he's a good dude. But oddly, a big part, I'll add one more thing, a big part of that earning that trust is not taking the bait. The same people who will ask me that question will put this same kind of nonsense on their Facebook. And it's honestly, it's a filtration process because the people who do respond to it say, well, how dare you, sir? They're they're never going to ask them those questions. They're, they're, they're trying to filter out who is and isn't cool. And this is a fairly immature way that they're doing (sighs) it. Uh, That's a really great point. Um, That's all very smart stuff. I'm glad to get you close us out on this by talking about an important spiritual gift. Yeah. That's the important spiritual gift of nah. Yeah. Well, learning to deploy a properly timed and executed eye roll is very important. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, you can memorize this phrase. Really? Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because, as Jen said, people just try things. You know, they're, yep. they're just, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's okay to, that they want to try it. Sure. As, as uh, Lee was pointing out, they, you know, they may want to see who's cool for a reason because they put up with people who aren't cool and and uh and and they're right to be concerned about who is cool and can this person not be a jerk about things so uh it's okay to give them feedback that says a i i am willing to be cool about it and b let's make sure you aren't being uncool to me because then we'll all be able to meet in the middle and you know, I think ninety nine percent of people respond positively to that. Like, oh yeah, no, you know, I was just teasing. Oh, well, okay, that's cool. I could be cool about it. Um, uh, you know, but I, I think uh, it's it is a a test of um, why are you telling me this? Uh, are you telling me this because you are concerned about me, or are you telling me all, all this stuff about Jesus because? You want to uh, put a notch in your belt. You want to score one for the home team and tell all your friends that you converted somebody, and this is your whole thing. Because if if that's the case, you're you're looking to win this argument. You're not looking to help a person. People can tell the difference on that, and uh, they do. They'll they'll say, you know, uh, you know, can God make a rock so big he can move it? You know, it's, uh, or my favorite one from. Uh, an SNL sketch of uh, 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 SNL sketch about sketch, excuse me, All right. SNL sketch about uh, uh, a, uh, a broadcaster for the Chicago Cubs named Harry Carey, who's no longer with us, who was known to start drinking Budweiser in the first inning and then proceed directly to the ninth inning, and sometimes in those later innings would would lose a Got little, little psychedelic. Bit of, yeah, and the, they did a, a, a little imitation, Will Ferrell imitation of him which uh, featured the question, if you were a hot dog and you were starving, would you eat yourself? Don't jerk me around, Norm. Just answer the question. (laughs) Here's the thing. That's essentially the same thing that you're presenting to me here. Yeah. 
Uh, no, here's why. Here's why we're talking about don't take the bait. Because if you take the bait and you win that argument, you embarrass the other person, yeah. and that's mm, bad. Yeah. You don't. That's right. If 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 I were to try and win that argument, I would say, okay, should I stop telling people with heroin they should have hope that a God exists and that there is an afterlife and there's a reason to have meaning in what you're doing, or should I just tell them it's all darkness and emptiness? Genius. There's no sky man that cares about you and your needs. That's right. Nobody's <laughs> wanted to do heroin less after reading Nietzsche. That's right. So, <laughs> you know, then he would say, well, no, go ahead and lie to him so he stopped taking heroin. I'd say, okay, well, so why don't you stop trying to uh, uh, sort us all out, my man? Well, why don't you work on yourself? And where am I, where's my witness at that point? It's, it's terrible. This is not the, the right thing to do here. If I could, if I could turn this around, here's the way I'd, I'd, I'd really like to turn it around to you. The Holy Spirit draws everyone to Himself. Everyone, everyone. That's thing number one. Here's thing number two. Everyone feels it. Mm. Here's thing number three. Most of them lie about that. <laughs> Human beings lying. That's unthinkable. Yeah. This is. Everyone that you look at, that you say, this person should feel convicted, they do. They're lying to you. They're lying their face off. Do you know how many times <laughs> I get lied to about Jesus-y stuff all day? No one I know lies to me more than pastors. I work with criminals, dude. Hey, on, we on don't the- care about numbers. Yeah, we just right. care about the gospel. Exactly. But also, you should have been here last week because there were so many more people. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. I mean, <laughs> how's, how are things going in your church, Pastor? It's fine. You know, it's fine. It's fine. Like, dude, you should... Uh, if I sat there and said, you should feel convicted about lying to me right now, why don't you be honest with me, for heaven's sake? The, you know, they would just try and double down and go back into that lie. They're they're in an avoidance thing. Maybe that's a shame. Maybe it's a guilt. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's a worry. It could be any sort of thing. But they're projecting to me that I'm not feeling what the Holy Spirit is telling me here. They're feeling it. They're just not in a place where they can receive that, where they can work with it, whatever. Our job, your job uh, online, is to help people f- get in touch with that, that, to feel that pull, to accept that, to receive that, and figure out what comes next. They're not moving forward because, as Lee is pointing out, it's very likely somebody's done or said something to hurt them. So the best ministry you can do is to not address the comment, is to address the source of all of this by talking mm. about what, what's hurting them. The other side to that coin is we're pointing out is people don't say these things to us. Nope. And the reason why, as Jed is pointing out, is because they respect the work that we do. Yeah. Well, um, here's a here's a cool thing then. Why don't we all find something that non-believers would respect and do that, and then do that? You're and a then, genius, Fitzgerald. And we don't. It's almost like that's in the Bible. Yes, with the outsiders it's like live such a good life among outsiders right. that they would see your good deeds. Yeah, I just made that up. Yeah, no, wow. it's, yeah, you're you're rolling there for a second. That was really good. So I, I think it is about uh, recognizing that if you find that thing that that non-believers respect then they'll respect you as you're describing these things and talking to them about it. Absolutely. What's your favorite planet? Mine's the sun. It's like the king of planets. One, one thing I'll, I'll add on to this, other than random Harry Carey SNL quotes from the mid-90s, is um, one of the things I, I put when I answer this on the blog is, if someone is in a very aggressive posture 
which, you know, with the, I guess God just saved everybody from himself. That's, that comes from herd, but that's manifesting as a certain amount of aggression. Um, almost universally, the least effective thing you can do is just start barking back at them. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not going to yield anything because that's where all the defenses are. Um, so, uh, the idea of uh, people, not martial arts of judo, jiu-jitsu or something is if they're running at you, keep their momentum moving the way it's going and flip them. Um, so the, uh, the, the example I gave is this was someone who I felt the Lord was, uh, reaching out and said, wanted me to reach out to. And let me be honest that I would triple check that because this dude sounds like he's got some work to do. Um, would be, if you want to interact with my Facebook message him about something completely different. Yep. Not only don't take the bet on this. Go all the way around this. As far as he knows, you didn't read it. Say, hey, man, it's been a long time. Why don't, I, why don't we grab a burger or go to a ball game or play cards, whatever we like to do, and we'll hang out? Because that's something that might work. Yep. As Glenn pointed out, you, you could win the argument and you know we don't get anywhere. I, I would take that a step further in our postmodern society. You, you, nobody wins debates. Here's what you need to win a debate. It has to be like a thing that you do in high school where the people are scoring. Because here's how things work now in the world. You could say, well, I've written this 15-page essay and I've consulted the resurrected corpse of C.S. Lewis to double-check all the theology. And what's actually, you have a fundamental misunderstanding of substitutionary atonement. It's not that God died for his wrongs, it's that God died for ours wrongs. And you get all the way through that and you gotta go, uh-uh. Right. And you lost that debate. That's right. Because <laughs> if he po- if he throws out debate and you jump in, now it's, there's the old phrase of uh, if you wrestle a bear, it's not over when you want it to be over. It's over when the bear wants it to be over. Yeah. If you jump in this guy's comment thread, you don't get to declare who wins. Right. He does. So there's a lot of there's a lot of violent metaphors in this, and that may tell you exactly how I feel about people who argue theology on Facebook. But it's one of those things of put put yourself in a position to succeed at what you want to succeed at. Yeah. And assuming, and I know for uh, Scripture Sketches this isn't, but uh, and as you love the listeners, I assume it's not as well, if what you want is not to prove yourself to be alpha jerk, which is the apparent aim of many people on the internet, then don't, don't, don't fight a rock with a rock here, you know? Uh, you know, meeting anger with love for more things that we have just totally made up because no one else seems to want to take credit for them. So a lot of good advice there in some practical ways. To apply it, we'll move on to our final question. This came into our email address. Added it a little bit for length, but it says, There was a recent incident at a church gathering where a guy really blew up at me and got angry at me, yelling and pounding a table so hard that it broke. After he stormed out, he came back in and, quote-unquote, apologized a few minutes later. He said that he gets really anxious. The young adult intern who is overseeing overseas program believes there should be not only forgiveness, but also reconciliation eventually, a la Matthew 18, 15 to 35. They also feel that I contributed to this situation in some way, even though they weren't there when it happened. But I feel pressured into reconciling with someone who frightens me. I'm not sure he'll ever come back to church, but still, I want to forgive him on my own time and move forward regardless of what he says or does. I also never want to be friends with him again because I don't trust him at all. I'm not sure how to reconcile those two things. And Jed, obviously a lot going on in this situation, but um, the thing I'd like for us to focus on, because I think this is quite applicable, I certainly hope that it's not going on in a lot of churches that people are flying into angry rages and pounding the table. I also feel we can make short work of saying, that is not okay. So we we can get that on the table. But this idea of something happened. Yeah. 
And there's a wrong party. Yeah. And there's a not wrong party. Yeah. And church folk kind of would like us just to admit we're all a little wrong. Yeah. That's something we, we see a lot. We run up against a lot. So what do we do to not only combat that, what can we give our friend to say, here's how you kind of, even in your own mind, push back against that very pressuring ideal. Sure, sure. Uh, first and foremost, we're sorry this happened. And yes. we're sorry that you went through this. And we're sorry that the church so far is definitely not doing a good job of handling their part of it either. So that's kind of wrong on top of wrong. In the spirit of, you know, they're saying, yeah, maybe you're all, you know, a little bit wrong. And you all have, a, you know, a, a bit of responsibility here. I think the, the easiest way to maintain sanity is to say, no, he broke the table, not me. Yep. Uh, there, yeah. there was a table that was shattered. It was not shattered by me. So I reject your premise. Swing and a miss. Try again. Um, I think it's also very, very important. A lot of the problems that Christians get into in these situations is because they have not carefully defined terms, what words mean in this situation. So you used a couple different words. You used the word forgiveness, you used the word reconciliation, you used the word trust. Those are all different things. Um, and they require different things, they mean different things, and they have different levels of obligation to them. So let's, real briefly, let's take a look, because I think part of what's going on actually with the church mishandling this is they don't know what those words mean either. Yeah. Um, and so... I guess I'd, I'd like to jump in for just right there, because I was, I was a bit uh, flip in the introduction, which I think I am. I, I think enough, all four of us have been around enough church stuff to say, this is probably not the young adult intern being a nefarious villain who is pro table breaking. This is every bit of cultural um, education that a person who grew up in church has had is nobody ever does anything truly wrong. Everything is misunderstandings and to correct it means to get to someone having said, I forgive you the fastest. So I'd say we're not demonizing this person, but we are saying that's an entirely wrong way to look at this. Totally. Absolutely. Right. Again, a table was broken. You didn't participate in the breaking of it. So we're, we're not all a little bit to blame. But Matt is absolutely right that that's what everyone in church leadership is brought up to believe, is that every problem, it, always, it takes two to tango. That may be true. It doesn't take two to break a table. And in this case, it definitely did not take two. So swing and a miss. Though in Argentina, the number one cause of broken tables is tangoing. <laughs> the plot thickens. All right. So again, this person, this the church, uh, uh, Skippy the intern, has been taught some wrong things. Um, uh, so let's look very briefly together at forgiveness, reconciliation, and trust, because they're three different things. They mean different stuff. Um, forgiveness, there, it actually means two things at the same time, and this is part of our problem. Um, we have an obligation as Christians to forgive a person before God. As in, I am no longer holding a claim in my heart against this person before God. You're forgiving them right. in your heart. In my heart, I am forgiving this person. I'm Again, the right way to think about it is you forgive a debt. This person owed me $100. Yeah. I am now declaring they no longer owe me $100. And I am doing... It's that sense of payback, right? Exactly right. They broke... I have the right to pay them back. Exactly right. They broke my table. I should get to break their table. Before God, I am relinquishing the right to break their table, um, and that is – the account is now closed. That, that is actual scriptural forgiveness. There is a second kind of forgiveness, which is that person um, saying the words, I forgive you to that person, you know, having that conversation. 
That's actually not exactly scriptural forgiveness. The, the call that we have in, from the Bible is that moment of forgiving them before God and letting go of that sense of um, deserving payback. You know, I am canceling this account. So the next thing, and again, I know this gets a little complicated. Hang with me. The next thing, when we think of literally saying the words, I forgive you to that other person, really we're starting to get to more into reconciliation. That's really more what that is. Reconciliation is about restoring and rebuilding the relationship. That we we were friends, then they did something bad. Now reconciliation is the process through which we be kind of become friends again and we have a functional relationship. Here's the thing. There are all kinds of situations where reconciliation is not possible. Reconciliation is also a separate thing from forgiveness. You have a scriptural duty as a Christian to forgive all those who wrong you with no exceptions. You don't exactly have a scriptural duty to have reconciliation in every one of these relationships. It doesn't quite work that way, and it's really not possible in certain situations. I think that's a great point. We talk a lot on the show about kind of getting wisdom from three different sources, that being from Scripture, from Wise Counsel, and from prayer. We, we One of the things you'll hear us say on the show is that all those are different in some ways. And one of the ways the Bible is super useful is there are some things that are just black and white, left and right limits. And that's, I think, forgiveness is a really good example of that, as you're saying. And that's the parable of the immersal servant that the person uh, mentioned, is you do actually have to forgive everyone, everything they do of you, in the way you're talking about, not holding that debt before God. Reconciliation is a wise counsel slash prayer thing in that the Bible will not say, John, you have to forgive the dude who stepped on your foot. That's going to be a case-by-case basis, and I think that's just to jump in there, say I think that's a pretty good example of a thing we talk about a lot. Exactly right. Exactly right. So again, reconciliation is, that's about rebuilding the relationship, and that's going to have to vary a little bit case by case. Again, there are situations, and this is definitely right up on one of them, where that may not be a good idea. That may not make sense. It it would definitely for sure be wrong to say that we must be reconciled in all situations. That is not true. That's definitely not true. The last piece is trust. Um, now, trust is an interesting thing because Christians really struggle to understand this. Love is something that we give people. It's a gift. They don't earn it. They don't have to deserve it. There's no such thing as deserving love because it is a gift by definition. Forgiveness is something that we are called to, again, extend to all people in our hearts before God, no matter what. Um, and again, if you forgive them before God and they come to you and they say, would you please forgive me? Well, then yes, obviously, I mean, you, can, you can and should say, yes, I, I forgive you. That doesn't mean we're reconciling. I don't want to hang out with you. Don't want to hang out with you. But yes, I forgive you, John. You are you are forgiven. Um, so love is a gift. Forgiveness we extend to all people. Trust is earned yeah. in all situations, in all relationships with all people. Trust is earned. You should not give anyone trust ever. You should make people earn trust in all situations no matter what. If they if they don't earn it, it is just enabling. It isn't trust, really. Exactly. You're just tempting them to misbehave. This person has utterly and completely betrayed your trust. They have made it clear, I will act wildly inappropriately. I will act right. menacing. I will act violent. I will act out of control. And then I will attempt to excuse my behavior uh, and say, well, you, you can't hold it against me because anxiety. Um they have utterly and completely betrayed your trust. And the only way that trust could be restored would be if they earned 
underlined that word several times, if they earned new trust. Now, you may be wondering as you hear me say that, how on earth would they do that? It's a good question. In this case, I can offer you a couple of very, very practical examples. The person you're describing uh, is out of control. This is a person with with problems. Um, I would strongly recommend uh, two things that whether they ever talk to you again or not, they should start doing immediately. The first is they need to get into counseling. Um, they need yeah. to be seeing a licensed counselor who can help them with their anxiety. Um, they almost certainly need to talk with their general practitioner um, and uh, see what their medical situation is. They really need to do both of those. The other thing is they need to get into a training program for anger management strategies and techniques. Um, We deal with a lot of people that need to do that, and they do that, and it's a huge help and a wonderful thing in their lives. But this is a person who for sure needs to get counseling and needs to get into an anger management program today, right now, today. Now, if this person wants to earn your trust back, those are two things they can do to prove and show and demonstrate a heart that is repentant and that is looking to work to change its ways. If the people in your church, if John um, gets, if he starts going to therapy and he starts going to an anger management class and he is, um, you know, nothing but a gentleman for the next year and a half and, um, the people in your church come to him, come to you and say, golly gee, you know, maybe you should lighten up on John a little bit because he's really changed. That's still really not their call, but you know, one could see where maybe kind of, sort of, they have a point kind of, that's not what we're looking at. What we're looking at is a person who needs to be forgiven because they have wronged you. We're looking at a person where reconciliation may not make much sense here, um, and certainly not without this person getting some treatment in their life. And we're looking at a situation where all trust has been betrayed, and the only way that trust could possibly be re-earned is through that person working steps of recovery, which is going to include professional counseling, therapy, and anger management tools and techniques. I think that is all excellent, excellent stuff. That's a fantastic place to start that off. And Glenn, let's let's look, go a little bit further into this idea of the way uh, church leadership is taught to deal with conflict. Yeah. Because they're taught in two ways. One is not. Yes. <laughs> because yes. that would like admit that conflict exists, and right. conflict's like kind of icky, and we don't want to, you know, it's church, and we all just, you know, sing and are happy. Mm-hmm. So why would we need, ever need to learn how to deal with conflict? Conflict is what bad people do. We're Christians. Yeah. We don't do that. Right. So that's where some of these issues start. That's right. But how does that, how does it, the way they are taught to deal with conflict or not, explain what happened here. Not explain it away, but help us understand what's going on so we don't have to be double pissed here. Yeah, well, I think part of what we're reacting to with this question is that the leader is 100% wrong, but this leader is 100% wrong in the way that almost all leaders are in the church. This yeah, is they're, not, very, they're not wrong because they're a bad person. They're wrong because right. every bit of training they had has failed them. Yeah, this is a this is a common thing and a thing we talk a lot about with, with pastors. I'm having this struggle. I don't know any other way to deal with it than this. Here's, here's the very small tactical mistake that's made here. When you have two people in your, uh, in your uh, uh, group, whatever it is, your church, what have you, and they're in, one has done something to the other person. Maybe the other person inspired that. Maybe they didn't, but there's, there's, a, there's a conflict. One of these two people has crossed the line. 
If you figure out who that person is and you tell yourself, I need to put us all in a room together, we'll do a trust exercise, we'll hold hands, we'll sing Kumbaya, and everybody will be reconciled. You are everybody under the trust yurt. That's right. Here's what you're doing is you are putting a responsibility on the victim of this behavior to fix the problem that is being put on them. That's not Christian. You put the responsibility for rebuilding the situation on the one who broke the situation and or the table. That person needs to be doing the fixing. It's a small tactical difference, but it's about those leaders putting pressure on on themselves, saying, I got to get everybody to hold hands here, rather than putting the responsibility on the person who's made the mistake and saying, you need to fix this. Tell you that. That's a big difference. And again, they're just not taught that. If I tell uh, pastors to do that, and I do, I tell people, I give this advice every day to pastors, really. Uh, they can see what I'm saying. Give you a practical example. I think we mentioned this on the podcast before, but it's worth repeating. Uh, very early on in uh, the, the life of the bridge, uh, Jed would lead worship at, at the bridge, and this was before he was on staff. One uh, week he was wearing a shirt that said on the front the word cash. This T-shirt was extolling the virtues of Johnny Cash. That happens to be the man's last name. So that's, I, you know, if you're paying attention, you could work that out. And um, uh, one of the men in, in attending the meeting, and this guy was not really our core demographic that we're trying to reach with this meeting. Uh, that's my way of saying he was white. An older white man. And uh, he came up to Jed and said, uh, hey, uh, you know, some of these guys here have like issues with money and struggles and circumstances. And, you know, maybe the shirt's kind of giving them uh, the wrong impression. And they said, oh, well, it's a Johnny Cash t-shirt. He's like, yeah, but still, but still, but still. Uh, you know, I think it's, uh, it's you know, it creates a wrong impression. Something to think about. Right. So Jed finds me and he says, look, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to wear a shirt that would offend anyone and so on and so forth. I said, okay, that's okay, that's fine. Uh, and then here's what happened, and and let me tell you about reconciliation now. Yeah. Ah. Maybe, uh, I mean, five minutes later, the same guy comes up to Jed, and he says, I was wrong. Mm. I was 100% wrong. There wasn't any right thing to what I said, and I would really like for you to forgive me 100%. Glenn, what could have happened in that short and intervening time to <laughs> what change indeed? his attitude so massively? Well, the, I can tell you what didn't happen. What didn't happen was me saying, let's all sing, hand, hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And Maybe me. Jed shouldn't have worn that t-shirt. John <laughs> yeah, Cash, yeah. a bit known drinker. Yeah. Very insensitive, Jed. <laughs> That's right. I, I found this uh, individual, and I, I uh, put a heavy hand on his shoulder. And I said, my brother, here's the story I'm telling you. This brother comes in. On his own free time, devoting, he, he gets paid to do this everywhere else. He does it for free here. He's got an amazing talent. He loves us. He loves this work. He's, he's sacrificing his time and his talent to come here and do this. And if you have run him off <laughs> as a result of this behavior, I am going to strap a guitar to your body, and I'm going to put you on that stage and put a mic in front of you. And if you think I won't, look in my eye and ask me, am I that crazy? Because, brother, (laughs) believe it. I'm going to do it to you. 
If you think I won't, you really need to rethink who I am. I will do that to you. <laughs> now, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to this man, and you are going to beg. I'm using a specific word here, beg forgiveness. Now, here's the good news for you, my man, is this brother is so Christian, he's likely to actually forgive you. <laughs> you don't deserve it. What's the deal with your face, man? What made you think this was a good idea? And what universe are you helping with this? But he will forgive you. I, you know, I wouldn't, and I might punch you in the face. But see, blessedly, he's better than I am. So we want to keep him, don't we? And he's, yes, yes. So he goes and he asks forgiveness. But here's the other side of that story. The guy was a jerk, yes. But he did find some humility. Sure. What, was that driven by uh, you know, fear, terror, perhaps? But he humbled himself. And here's what happened. He had a great experience because Jed did forgive him. And he gave him a hug and said, don't worry about it. And it's, it's squashed. And that feels pretty good. I mean, there's a kind of relationship you have where you never make a mistake, but then there's a different kind of relationship where you really screw this up and somebody's really nice to you off of that and doesn't hold it against you. There's sort of a whole different, deeper dynamic to that. He kept coming to the bridge. We didn't have any problems there. Jed kept coming, kept playing music. There wasn't any kind of problems. We all we all won off of the situation. So I think this mentality of let's try and get everybody to meet in the middle ends up ignoring Somebody has a responsibility to make something right. If they don't want to do that, then guess what? You cannot come here. What I'm telling pastors on a daily basis, and they really struggle to get a hold of this, is if you have one person who's who's upsetting people, and you try and hold on to that one person, no matter what, they will eventually drive all the rest of them off. They will just yeah. go away. They won't come and talk to you. They'll just disappear. And eventually, you'll just be you and this jerk sitting in the. And he'll he, he, he'll be happy with that. <laughs> you know, he won't have anybody else to irritate but you, I guess. While you're filling out your resume to flip burgers at McDonald's, it's like getting to the boss level in a video game. <laughs> That's right. Here's another thing that can happen: you could confront this one person that's being a jerk and say, two options, my man: kick rocks or stop being a jerk and go find this person and beg for some forgiveness." Because that's the right and Christian and godly thing to do. Amen. Anything that comes out of that's a victory. If he decides to go somewhere else, and as Jed's saying, maybe he realizes I need to get some help, and I'm I'm lonely, and I'm on my own, and I, and there I can show you the Bible verse that says that's the exact right thing to do in that situation is to put him out and let him figure that out. It's right before the one they tried to guilt our friend with here in the uh, question. That's right. But but if if that person finds that humility and can really sincerely apologize, and that person works on the, this reconciliation process and rebuilding trust, as Judd's saying, we're going to have suddenly a better situation, really, than what we started with. And that's a big positive. That That's what we want to shoot for. I think it's a really great point. And um, Leah, I'd love to get you to pick us up on that idea of apologizing because there's yeah. something that goes on in this question that I think our friend very wisely put in uh, quotation marks or uh, inverted commas, yeah. as our friends in the common will say of they apologized, which is more, they came and said, sorry, I broke the table. I have anxiety. I know a lot of people with anxiety. Yeah. I had anxiety myself. Do you break tables often? Never resulted in really going all Hulk on a table. <laughs> but the thing about that is in, in this context that Glenn is giving us of, a culture and sometimes people in charge who just want to get to nobody being mad as mm. quickly as possible. That 
quote unquote apology becomes important because you can't be mad at him. He apologized. So obviously we're rejecting that, but let's, let's try to end on a positive note here. (laughs) Gonna do our best. So let's, let's look at what an actual effective apology and someone taking responsibility for their actions, or as Glenn is pointing out, someone expecting someone else to take responsibility for their actions actually looks like. Can you walk us through that real quick? Yeah. The thing that I love about Glenn's story is that, uh, you know, what Jed heard that man do when he came back to him about the t-shirt, that's like a unicorn. Nobody's ever heard that before. Like nobody ever gets these apologies. Um, What you actually... What you actually normally get is much more along the lines of what you're talking about, where somebody says, yeah, you know, I, I, I apologize, but it's really because you heard it a certain way. Or, I'm sorry that you felt such and such off of what I did. I'm s- where they make it your fault. I'm sorry that this happens, but I have this. This is a justification for my behavior. The, the number of times that anybody has ever heard an actual apology in their life has got to be so unbelievably low because if you want to watch somebody squirm, if you want to watch a human being struggle through their self and through their life, then insist that they don't stop until they really do the thing. So they really apologize until they really, really own it. And this is what it entails. It entails a person saying, I am sorry for what I did. What I did was wrong. I wronged you, and it hurt you. And I'm sorry that I did it. I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm not going to make any excuses about that, and I will now be quiet while I listen to you tell me, in a cathartic way, the ways in which I hurt you, just in case you need to get that off your chest. So now, I will stop talking and let you begin talking. This is the kind of thing that People have never done it because it takes a degree of humility that we're just uncomfortable with. There is an embarrassment. There is a pride that stands in the way of just saying, I was wrong, and I'm sorry about that. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to justify my behavior. I'm not going to make any excuses. I'm telling you that I was wrong, and I'm sorry. And I'm going to give you the time that you need to take before we have any kind of next step you know, forgiveness, reconciliation, whatever that is. I'm, the, the thing I want to end on is, I am sorry for the wrong thing that I did or said or whatever. That is such a difficult thing for people to do. It's such a difficult thing to, for people to do. And yet, as people who believe in the gospel, and this is a trippy thing, as people who believe in the gospel, we should be very comfortable with the idea that from time to time, I'm going to have to look people in my life in the eye and say these words. Jesus himself had to die for me because I'm such a wreck. It should go without saying that from time to time, I'm going to have to say, I was wrong, what I did was wrong, and I'm sorry that I treated you that way. We should be experts at it. We should be teaching everybody else how to do this. My hope for you and for all of us is that not only that we learn how to do this ourselves, but um, for, for the times that we are wrong, but also that you go ahead and insist that people who quote-unquote apologize to you, that you don't have to let them off the hook. No, you need to try that again. You need to run that back 
and give that another shot because that was a justification or that was an excuse or that was a defense of you or that was a judo move where you turned it back and made it my fault. So I'm going to let you try that again. Um, And let's all (laughs) hope that that unicorn apology that Jed has received in his life is something that we can all experience a little bit more. That's really a great point to end on. One thing I will add to this, and it's, I think it's worth pointing out, it's worth adding and putting a text to the subtext that we've had through some of this conversation. I, I will say it this way. I have a younger brother. As a child, I was what was dubbed accurately by my father, an instigator. Ah, mm. Meaning I would never be the one who punched, but I would be the one who did the things that led to the punching. Right. It was explained to me, you don't get off just because you didn't throw a punch. Right. So that's fine for children. That's fine trying to raise non-sociopathic human beings. That's not the way the adult world works. Right. There's no this, well, I mean, he broke a table, but you said something that made him really angry. No, no, no. There's an action. And that's one thing that gets put on people in church. Unfortunately, it super gets put on women in all walks of life is that idea of, well, you knew he was going to react that way. So that is not an acceptable frame of thinking from anyone in any form of leadership, much less church leadership, which luckily by being able to go to other churches, we have more control over that, the role that leadership has in our lives. That idea of, well, you didn't do anything perfectly either. That's yeah, totally the, right out. The shirt, the shirt didn't make you act like a jerk in here. Yeah. You're, you are not <laughs> Yeah, This person is not a bull. Yeah. And not right. even a real bull, a right. bull from a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Right. Where if you wave anything red anywhere near them, they just have to go charging. Right. That's not an, an acceptable way to look at that. So again, um, there's a lot we're putting on uh, church leadership here that they do. This is a pattern of the thing they do wrongly. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not doing that necessarily just to crap on them, though it's a lovely side effect. We're hoping, I'm hoping through this discussion to give you, the listener, a little idea of where that comes from. So that you can, if you want to stay at this church, you can, in a way that will help the leadership in the long run, if they're humble enough to hear it, accurately push back and say, it sounds like you just want for you to feel like no one's angry at each other anymore. So like, I have to be in, you want me to be in a place I feel physically unsafe so that both you and the person who went into a rage don't feel bad about what you did. Does that sound like a fair thing to you? Because again, that's exactly what they're saying. That's not how they would even consciously think to put it, but it's what they've been trained to. So we, A, want you to be able to, uh, if you're so inclined, because again, you don't know anybody in this situation, lay that out and say, are we sure that's what we want to do here? We also want you to, get, if you're looking for another church, uh, to go to another place to be able to sit down with the pastor and say, you know, I've had some experiences. Why don't we talk about how you handle conflict in this church? And if they, as many pastors would, just wet themselves at the word conflict, we probably know it's fine to move on. So all that to say, uh, you, you did great. We, we're, we're still praying for you. And if you want to reach out to us, follow up questions, or if you have a question for a, pre- a future episode, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. You can also reach out to us on social media. We mentioned we have a Twitter at thebridgechi. Also a Facebook page over there at face- facebook.com slash thebridgechicago. Blog posts, songs. We'll post the episodes of this and all our podcasts when they go up. So lots of great stuff over there. We can tell the song this week. This is from Bridgebox. This is from our friend, the pool house guru, Ooh, his version yeah. of the hymn. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Let's say that podcast reminding our listeners that a nacho cheese fountain really adds a lot to a Jurassic themed wedding. Ooh. Give me grace to trust yeah,
Huh? Feels so sweet to trust in Jesus. I've been- 